Welcome to a brand new Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by Coordination.com, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, and streaming to you live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. I'm your host, Greg Mahochko. Joining me as always over here, we have our founder and fearless leader, John Dam Johnston. And above this shoulder, we have Dr. Offense himself, Hoss Reuter. Gentlemen, it's good to be here with you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy lives to uh, uh, spend some time with the good folks online the, tonight. I, I was watching Nebraska beat up Purdue in volleyball. We got him. We was winning. Yeah, we were up two sets to nothing, and it occurred to me incredibly frustrating to play Nebraska in volleyball because, I mean, their defense is so good in the, you know – Kenzie Knuckles and uh, that Lexi Rodriguez and Nicklin, the Wonder Girl, they, they dig the ball so well. I mean, the defense, you got, I mean, you go up in the air like, bam, and no, they just, aha, we're returning the ball. You know, it's it's really neat to watch this year, all these younger players. That's a total development program right there. Testament to John Cook. No shit. Man, Hoss, how imagine are you doing, if we sir? had that. I, was, I wanted to hear what John had to say at the tail end there. Imagine we just had a little bit of that and, and like, trickle down to every other sport, like some kind of, yeah, you know, maybe, magic you know, sauce. I, I, yeah, trickle down is the key word there. Just enough to get us to eight wins, respectability in football. We'll worry about the big stuff down the road. But, no, to answer your question, Greg, I am good. Uh, still recovering from a brutal football weekend where – Nebraska lost, Kansas City lost, which I was in attendance for in Arrowhead, and my fantasy football team lost for sole possession. <laughs> so I went 0 for 3. I, I, got, I got boat raced over the weekend. So I'm, uh, I'm not sure how much I like the sport of football right now. I, I want a surprising one and one. Nebraska, of course, the, the heartbreak uh, in West Lafayette. Uh, which we'll obviously well we'll talk about, and the game we won't talk about is the surprising Pittsburgh Steelers win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yep. But very surprising when Tom Brady's out till all hours partying with the newly remarried Robert Kraft and his you know forty three year old wife. Play uh, on, play on. Yeah, I guess I, I I just you know wonder if she knows the, about his history with the massage parlors. Well, the Hell, Packers that's, lost. That's where he met her. You never know. I, I always forget that John's a Packers fan. Yeah, the that's Packers not. lost. I it, they suck. To the you know, they should have. They sh- yeah, exactly. That's the worst part of it. I mean, what the hell? Why are these New York teams successful? I know. I know. With the Giants, we know it's a little more sustainable. <sighs> With the Jets, they'll fizzle out. I'm more, you know, when it comes to New York teams, I'm more of a Jets guy than a Giants guy, but that's neither here nor there. I'm just, you know, talking out loud like anybody cares, really. <sighs> Hello, Donnie and Blaine. Two live shows in one week. How lucky can we be? Well, the only way we'd be any luckier is if we had a good football team. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the, the Gophers lost, so the household was upset. Uh, they got got beat up by Illinois and they played terribly you know I thought I would have hoping they were going to win that game so they would knock Illinois down a little bit so you know kind of like 
you know, kind of like that uh, an ant lion spits at the ants when they're trying to come out of the pile. I don't know where that reference came from. <laughs> I would just go on. <laughs> you know, like yeah. those toxic yeah. friends of yours that drag you down into their situations that don't want you to succeed in life. Those people. I was rooting for uh, Illinois to get knocked off by Minnesota because I think Illinois is head and shoulders the best team in the West. Right now, they're beating people up on the line of scrimmage, and it really sucks to see Brett Bielema have any sort of success. Well, he walked into Chase Brown. Yeah, he did walk in because Chase Brown tuned us up pretty good uh, in Lovey Smith last year. The, that's the thing, too, is, you know, both teams have uh, a bye week, you know, before they, they clash on October 29th, which is kind of, a, I think, unusual bit of scheduling where uh, two teams who will be meeting, uh, you know, each have a bye ahead of time. Uh, Joel says Huskers need to get plenty of rest for Illinois. Uh, one could make the argument that Illinois needs to get plenty of rest for Nebraska because their offense sure. is going to be worn out after running all over our defense. I mean, or their defense is going to be worn out if they're going to be chasing Trey Palmer downfield. Oh, no shit. Mean, we're going to really have to, you know, we're going to have to maximize everything that we do and do well. It, well, let's go back and talk about that game uh, in in West Lafayette this past set. First of all, I think this may be the last year that Nebraska <laughs> – it's a really, really odd statement that I'm going to make – that we'll have enough equity to uh, have primetime games. We don't deserve to play in primetime. <laughs> it's weird having night games after years of the Scott Frost era being so ingrained that, oh, what time's the game? 11 a.m. Yeah. every Saturday, which, again, I love 11 a.m. games, so that never bothered me much. But um, it's it's nice to have some primetime games mixed in there. As Joel Tilson says, Palmer will drive the Big Ten crazy. Yeah, that was like uh, just like watching Randy Moss, you know, early in his career. I mean, imagine what we do if we had good pass protection and a good running game. <laughs> I mean, th- yeah, because Palmer may be the uh, the beneficiary of the fact that we have you know no pass uh, protection or, or run blocking because the only option seems to be Trey Palmer running, um, you know, deep and, and the, I, I, I don't know. I can't really call them YOLO bombs. It's not the Taylor Martinez era anymore. No, no, they're, uh, they're, they're not YOLO bombs at all, but I get, I get your point. Uh, I got a question but, for you, Haas. I got a no, question. What's up? What's up? <laughs> Tommy Hill. Yeah. What about him? Okay. Did you see him? Did you see him? I not that I recall on Saturday. Didn't he could do a kickoff return? Oh yes, very nice kickoff return. I was thinking on an offense. Yeah. Sorry. Did you not? Did you not look at him and go, that guy is extremely athletic, fast, and should get on the field on the offensive side of the yeah, ball? That's, that's basically verbatim what I was saying when that kickoff return happened. And it's amazing how deep we thought we were at receiver before the season. Um, how thin we are now. Um, you know, at this point in the season, people are banged up, sure, but, you know, we don't have a whole lot of people. Um, and so I think that he should be on the field. I bet you'll see him get up to speed a lot over the bye week um, as they install 
different stuff, you know, for the game plan against Illinois. And I was going to say when we were talking about Trey Palmer and the big play, um, one play, two play scoring drives, as Greg mentioned, that just goes to show how everything is everything in football. Second law of thermodynamics, everything is interconnected because and I don't know if we want to jump the, into the deep end right now, Greg, or if you want to transition to this a little bit later in the show. Deep end, deep end, deep end, deep end, deep end. Um, do you guys remember when uh, we got beat by Ohio State 62-3 to in 2016? No. No, I don't. John, I know that you don't. You don't have. You have the memory of a goldfish now. So yeah, go- yes. Greg, do you remember? Do you recall that at all? I remember a uh, sadness. Yeah. Okay. So, part of the problem, in addition to just being outclassed, was you know we didn't have an offensive line that year that could have helped us grind out long drives. So the defense was getting on the field a lot. We weren't scoring anything, but you know ties into this. Just bear with me here. The offensive line is more responsible for the loss last Saturday against Purdue than any other unit on the field. And I know that some people might say, why? They weren't out there on defense not being able to get stops. Yeah, you're right. But what it is is we're not able to grind out long drives. We're not able to keep our offense or our defense off the field and run the ball and keep Purdue's offense off the field. And that is the Tommy Armstrong stretcher game. Um, and so we have to just go basically, hey, Trey Palmer is down there. <laughs> F it. He's open. Throw it, you know. Um, and basically, we, we got to score too quickly. Defense wasn't going to get stops, but it made it a lot worse because I can go into the defensive game plan, but I think I'll save that for later in the show. But, yeah, offensive line, inability to grind out drives, that really hurt this team when you consider that Purdue ran for a, what 102 plays yeah it was it was triple digits uh Walt I, I think is is putting another component on what you're talking about Hoss he says while at the Purdue game sitting behind Nebraska bench he watched uh, uh he actually corrected himself in a later comment he said Whipple follow Casey taking uh-huh. a seat ripping him a new one after a couple quick three and outs early in the game um he may be waddling but he means business um, a lot of that, I mean, I don't, I, to, to your point, I don't think you can put a ton of, of blame on Casey Thompson. You know, no, he's I, I think Casey Thompson's doing that he possibly can. Exactly. And, and he, he's, you know, trying to get the ball out quickly. Um, and, and, and just so happens that Trey Palmer's faster than everybody else. Uh, and, and he's a, Great route runner. Um, he's he's able to make a couple of moves uh, on his routes and, and and get the defender thrown off and and that opens him up. I'm waiting for for the time when you know the defense uh, you know defensive coordinators may try to put a spy on him or, or somebody over the top that should free up somebody else. They haven't done that yet. I'm sorry you kind of broke broke up there a little bit in the last like 10 seconds of what you're saying safety over the top well i i just wonder when a defensive coordinator coordinator might uh, uh run some type of of scheme that will put two guys on trey palmer which would open up you know theoretically another receiver for for an opportunity i, I haven't seen that yet but i'm, I'm it's got to be coming right 
Well, Purdue did start to do that later in the game. Um, there was a very nice – on one of the touchdown throws, the ball, you know, the throw by Thompson just split the two defenders with Trey in between them. Um, but it took them till probably about the start of the fourth quarter to finally get to that point. Um, I think you're going to see a really creative game plan from Illinois' defensive coordinator, Ryan Walters, against, you know, try to shut down Palmer. He's one of the better uh, defensive tacticians in college football. And to your point, though, opening up, an, you know, another guy, you know, another receiver in the pass pattern, I don't know if we even have the time for Casey to try to find, progress through his reads. Honestly, like as simplistic and reductive as this sounds, sometimes I think the deep ball to Trey Palmer is just literally like that meme, like, fuck it, he's down there somewhere. Like, I got to get rid of the ball, you know. Um this is one of the worst. This is the worst offensive line I've ever seen at Nebraska, and I'm only 30 <laughs> yeah, years old. So yeah. by proxy, that probably makes it the worst offensive line at Nebraska in John's <laughs> lifetime, too. Because Lord knows there were a lot better offensive lines. You know, from you know, I was born in '90. John, I don't know how old are you. When were you born? 1812. <laughs> well, put it this way: If we'd have seen this kind of offensive line, shit, have burned down. We'd have burned down everything. Just burned it yep. down, or burned it up, like Brit, just depending like upon your attitude. <laughs> what? The British burned down the White House. The War of eighteen. Yeah, they did. Yeah. We would have burned down something. Yeah. All right. So, to the to the main point, though, I just had to give John some crap about you know being alive through every major historical event. Um, this offense is pretty hampered, in other words. Can we can we just run some short crossing routes with Marcus Washington? And I th- I'm surprised we haven't seen that. I, I'm surprised we haven't seen more like mesh plays or shallow because what do they right call now, it? I'm I'm missing the term. The follow routes. No, yeah, right. Quarter- short crossing routes. Yeah, 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 but they're no, aren't they follow routes where they you roll the quarterback to the right, run a guy shallow and run a guy deep? Oh, uh, levels, weak side flood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. I don't I, know I, what I I'm talking you, about. I'm, I'm just blathering on. Cornhusker no, Corner good. back again, and uh, we certainly appreciate uh, uh, that great uh, uh, follow. But said, what line of scrimmage or what, what line is worse? Is it this year's? offensive line or is it the defensive line in the 2012 conference championship game i know we're it's that's a tough comparison because it's apples and oranges we're not exactly the same i just um, keep thinking i haven't seen this year's offensive line give up you know 599 rushing yards or whatever it was you know but also that 2012 Nebraska defensive line had some stretches where they looked like they knew what the hell they were doing. Man, that's a toss-up. That's a great question. That is a toss-up. Cornhusker Corner bringing the hard-hitting questions tonight. Well, wait a minute, though. 2012 defensive line. Conference- Cam Meredith happened to line up at the three technique against Wisconsin. Was that really the defensive line, though, or was that completely – that defensive line was pretty bad. I mean, okay. you had Avery Moss, who was a true freshman. And then other than that, you had like Joe Carter, Chase Rome. 
Cam Meredith, Baker Steinkuller wasn't awful. That was Avery Moss before he uh, uh, <laughs> exposed himself to the uh, – uh, Yeah, b- before guessing. he started to, uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, ex- I was trying to be clever mm-hmm. here, but, yeah, expose himself. I was trying to pull that line from the uh, – um, Not for not Friday Night Lights. The uh, what's the West Canaan? James Vanderbeek, John. Oh, Varsity uh, Blues. Varsity Blues. I knew Blues. Where he's like a, a put their wieners up against the glass at the Iwanis Club or something. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Forgot about that. That's a great movie. All right, Adam Michael Fellows <laughs> says. Oh, Should have never fired Frank Solich because that's what started Nebraska going through the coaching carousel for 20-plus years. Then Bo maybe should have not got fired also. Can I John, take that? Take it. Yes, please. Yeah, you know, Adam, Frank would have been fired. He just would have been fired sooner or later. And the reason why is because he wasn't Tom Osborne. I mean, in fact, let's, instead of looking at this perspective, let's just take a different perspective on this and say that Tom Osborne set him up, making him the head coach, knew him damn well he was going to be fucking fired because he wasn't legendary. I mean, it's just like walking on stage after the main act and then you're supposed to show up next. It does, it, Frank was a good coach. But he wasn't a great coach. But the problem there was Steve Peterson fired him when he was nine and three, and he could have waited two years and fired him when he was, I don't know, at five hundred. So, you know, well, just like anybody else in Nebraska, we fired him either one year too early or one year too late. I, I think that the thing is, is because we're older, we see the past as more romantic than it really is. And the fact is, everybody went ballistic when. Uh, Frank Solich went 500 that one year, and everybody, you know, most people wanted him fired. It's kind of like people saying the Oklahoma-Nebraska rivalry was always full of respect. That's the biggest bunch of bullshit ever, too. Back in the 70s, those two teams hated fucking each other. They hated each other. I hated Oklahoma. Everybody I knew hated Oklahoma, and them motherfuckers hated us. Yeah, I've I've always heard it didn't become this mutual respect thing until we were kicking their ass in the 90s. That's it. That's exactly right. And then we kind of went, okay, we shouldn't beat them up when they're down. But on any scale, uh, you know, maybe this is, is the bet. And also college football is a lot different 22 years ago, 24 years ago. Um, but on any scale, you never want to be the guy in, in – and that's why I say it, it's different when there are a lot of dollars involved. But generally speaking, you never want to be the guy that follows the legend, you know, because you're never going to the guy. Exactly. You, because, and that's why, you know, we thought that, uh, um, well, maybe not we thought, but that's why it certainly raised some eyebrows and piqued some curiosity when Callahan was brought in. Oh, he's bringing in something different. Um, but uh, you can throw a lot of money at it, but that's a lot of pressure. That that's a that's a powder keg, you know, right? Because you're not, you know, in this case, Tom Osborne. You're not the guy. You're not the Jimmy Johnsons. You're not the uh, uh, Bobby Bowdens. You know, you're not the guy who is the established entity 
and you're never going to be looked at as equal in the fans' eyes. Exactly. Uh, Bear Bryant, whoever followed Bear Bryant, was that uh, Gene Stallings? You know, he had. I think he was close in there. Bill Curry. It had. It was a. It was a. I know they they did the same thing we were trying to do. They they wanted oh it has to be a Paul Barrett Bryant guy. Recreate Camelot has to. Yes, you know, exactly. Exactly. Um, they did that for a long time. Yeah, and then in 2007 they finally got their act together and said no more because they Mike Shula was their version of Scott Frost. He failed. Yes. Time to move. Oh, on. he's terrible. You know? Yeah, I remember watching a lot of Bama games when they're on CBS and like Tyrone Pro Throw and. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Brody Croyle um, on the roster. But to answer, like, Matt Faust's comment that they need to hire Mike Gundy already so everyone will shut up about the coaching carousel, Matt, this is going to be going on until November 26th. <laughs> We're not hiring anybody midseason. Even if it's somebody not currently coaching, he's not going to take over midseason. Just buckle in, strap in, you know, just ride it out. You got I think it was canned heat said it. You got to ride the painted pony and let the spinning wheel glide. Oh my God. And and that brings up, was, uh, go ahead, John. It was Ray Perkins. Ray Perkins. Okay. Ray Perkins, Bill Curry, Gene Stallings, Mike DeBose, Dennis Francione. Mike Price was hired, but then never Mike Price had some fun with a credit card at a strip club. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Shula, Joe Kynes, there's a name that everybody remembers. Remember? Oh, that was that the inside the that's the inside trap guy at halftime of their bowl game. Yes. And, and then along came Nick Saban. Yeah. So I what, eight coaches they went through, I think, if you count the interim dude. So Well let let's let's table the coach discussion at least for a little while because I feel like there's a little bit more to talk about uh from Purdue last Saturday. There has been a complete shift, a paradigm shift perhaps, in in the last few weeks. I don't think it's necessarily a scheme or, or play, but, you know, taking what the defense gives you or, you know, settling for what your offensive line can can give you, which is very little. The, the run game against Purdue was almost non-existent. Going, you know, uh, for a guy like Anthony Grant, who early in the season was, you know, going for 100 yards, you know, every, every game, to I think had 40 yards on for on you know some 20 carries. It's it's a, a sign of just how bad this offensive line is because a- Anthony Grant, we've seen him make some stellar plays and and quite honestly make something out of nothing, but the offensive line is in such disarray that he can't he has no chance our our highest uh rusher for saturday was trey palmer on the end around reverse it, mm-hmm. there's i don't know if we're, we're not disguising things if we're if we keep trying to run between the tackles uh, and we're not trying to get outside and stretch the edge enough um but but dr offense not very ta- good up front <laughs> it's just that no, simple. I mean, like, it, 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 granted, there are some things we could do to help our cause. More quarterback run game, using motions to out-leverage the defense, get them moving around pre-snap, get them moved out of gaps or where we want to attack. And 
distorting linebacker reads with misdirection, you know, pulling guards and running counter. But, man, uh, these guys just aren't very good. I mean, physically, they are not good. It's that – I mean, it's that simple. Like we, like Brendan Stye said in that hot mic instant, we recruited a bunch of knock-kneed six-foot-nine offensive linemen that don't know how to bend at the knees and instead bend at the hips. We have guys that aren't functionally strong. They're not – they don't have good functional movement. They look like Donovan Raiola spends zero time in instruction, you know, throughout the week. They don't know how to pick up a simple blitz. They look they they literally look like when a defender does something in terms of a specific technique, they look like they have no idea how to counter it. And these are guys that are sometimes their fourth or fifth year inside the program. And it's it's just not good. I mean Talk about Turner Corcoran not gaining enough width and depth on his kick step because he's fearful of getting, you know, outran, you know, back inside by the defender. Then you have the same issue over on the other side with Bryce Benhart. And you just – it's very evident that we have an offensive line coach who doesn't know how to troubleshoot these problems when they're happening game after game after game. If you get beat because the defender across from you is just flat out better than you, that happens. It's like you could want to win, but you're going to lose to Usain Bolt in a race every day just because you're not as fast as he is. But instead, you know, we we don't put ourselves in a position to be successful at all, to mitigate our shortcomings. There's no adjustments that take place. I This is oh. – I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. Uh, Colin uh, says our tackles look like they're on stilts trying to move around, which piggybacks actually to a question that I was going to ask is, Hoss, when did when did there become a, a shift? Because I know you've been following studying offensive lines uh, for you know at least as long as I've known you, so seven-plus years. Um, hey, we're not going to beat you up for grammar this time, Colin. We know you're a smart guy. You're a Husker fan. Um, it's all good, man. <laughs> but – when did there become like a shift in in the makeup of an offensive lineman? Because at the end, I mean, it should be all about you know center of gravity, balance, and being able to push you know push around somebody opposite you. I would think that you know a, a six foot to six two guy would be better than a six eight six nine guy. When when did that happen? When offensive line recruits just started being bigger bodies. Um. That's a good question. I can identify the exact year. 2017. 2017, for whatever reason, and I'm not saying it's not so much a trend across college football or the NFL for that matter. It was almost a specific trend from Scott Frost, that UCF team that had a bunch of guys who were 6'6", 6'7", upwards of 6'9", 320 to 335, and they got by just by mauling smaller Defenders. I'm not talking smaller and high. I'm talking undersized defenders in the AAC. And then you bring those guys into the Big Ten Conference where everybody lifts weights. Most of those defensive fronts are 23 and 24 year old grown men who've been lifting weights, you know, in a college program for five years. And you get to a point where we just aren't very good athletically compared to what we we're going up against. I mean. Pad level wise, I mean, even if you have good bend in the knees and hips at six foot nine, you're still going to have some problems. 
with pad level and leverage against, you know, the shorter, squattier defensive linemen that we see in this conference. John, you had your hand up waiting patiently. <laughs> <laughs> isn't there a big, huge part of this problem that Zach Duvall just wants to make big guys and doesn't want to become athletic because he's a really yep. shitty conditioning coach and he should never be around in Nebraska again after this season? Isn't that the part of the issue? I think it's a huge part of the issue, and I think a big part of it is that he loves uh, basically what what I can infer is that it's almost just like a Soviet periodization program that he runs, which Soviet periodization is what powerlifters in the 80s, Soviet powerlifters used, where they basically just focused on squats, heavy squats, deep squats, squat heavy, deep, and often. And what happens is over time, you get bulky, you get like your ligaments take a toll, you know, because they can't keep up with the growth of the muscle and the increases in strength. And it gets to the point where you're not functional at all. I mean, like you, you have no lateral movement. You have no fast twitch explosion. You basically just create, you know, you're the size of a refrigerator. That's great. But I mean, like aside from having problems fitting on an airplane seat, what you know, what do you have to really offer athletically? So that sounds like our offensive line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, and as, as a lifter myself, I've, I've done some of the Soviet periodization on back squat and yeah, it does not lead you to some good places, you know, athletically, a lot of injury, a lot of soft tissue issues. Missing those. I think I, I think, I think I squatted two or three times today. Yeah, I'm sure you did. I bet, you know, just like yourself said, squatting is just like taking a crap. Don't understand why it's so hard. Well, yourself, you got the internal <laughs> rotation of the hip in the side. Oh, a lot of people, you know, got long femurs, long leather. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to get into it. Well, let's talk about that defense, shall we? <laughs> we missed. It's Luke Reimers. Boy, and then we lost uh, Nick Henrich. Mm-hmm. Probably for the year. That's what it sounded like. You know, Bill Bush, you know, I'm not – I don't put this on him at all, but it was one of his selections for the game to line up in a very conservative, you know, pattern match coverage, three down defensive linemen. We were basically rushing three and dropping eight not getting pressure on the quarterback. And then, I mean, with the way that Brom chose to attack us, there really was no way to get pressure on O'Connell with how quickly the ball was coming out. Because they basically went to just a quick game, ball control offense, um, and keep the ball. They're playing keep away. You know, some teams do it with the run. They did it with the pass. Get first downs, keep the clock moving. And Charlie Jones. They weren't going to defend that guy anyway. With that comeback shit going on, and then Aiden O'Connell, the way he threw the ball, I mean, they, there was no defense of that anyway. Well, you know, like we were talking earlier, you know, before the season kicked off, John, you and I had the discussion about Eric Chenander's defensive philosophy. Don't get beat deep, you know. Get right. beat by death of a thousand cuts, but don't get beat deep. Well, 
you saw that in action on Saturday, just not with Eric Chenander, you know, calling the defense, but with Bill Bush. Again, it's not Bush's fault. You know, he's basically just using what he has at his disposal. But this is what happens when you want to get so conservative, you're terrified of the deep ball, and teams are just throwing it underneath. Uh, Charlie Jones, I'm, I'm pretty sure that game could still be going on. We probably still wouldn't have covered him, you know. Um, the, in the infuriating thing, we had problems defending their running game. You know, Maccabee's a true freshman walk-on. He goes for what a buck ninety. You know, I remember last time they showed his yardage on air is a buck seventy-one. But they're running a little bash play. I think I tweeted that out at one point. They're running a bash counter play, and we're biting on the quarterback like O'Connell's a run, like an actual threat to run the football. You know, and it's just one of those things where it's like, no, they tackle that guy. No, and Maccabee, I mean, he's probably going to be like Xander Horvath or all those other backs that Purdue, Purdue's always had sneaky good running backs in like the past six or seven years. You could even go further back with Raheem Mostert, you know, when he was there. But it's just like, we're having problems defending a run play, you know, a misdirection run, thinking that Aiden O'Connell is a threat to run the football. We should have just stayed wide, taken Maccabi on the on the sweep, and made O'Connell run it because I don't think he's outrunning anybody. You know, I mean, pick your poison. Lesser of two evils there. Hell, if we're going to get beat by the run. I'd rather get beat by O'Connell running it than someone like Maccabi, you know. But, man, <laughs> then we're, we're, you know, we're thin in the, on the back, in the back seven on defense, just like we're thin at receiver. Going into the year, you feel like you're deep. You feel like you have good depth. Now, feels like we don't have it. Corner, corner, corner. Corner. You want to read it, Hoss? You want me to? No, you go ahead, Skip. All right, I'll read it. You react. Uh, the difference between Bush and Chins, Chins would get more and more out-schemed and lost as the game went on. Bush learns and improves as the game goes on. I don't disagree with the, the beginning of that. However, there wasn't a whole lot of improvement <laughs> this past Saturday. No, it was a uh, – you ever gone tubing, you know, like on a on a lake, you know. I don't know if you have lakes down there in southern Illinois or not, Greg, you know. Oh, uh, excuse me, sir. Yes, we do have lakes. Uh, it's so not quite the land of 10,000 lakes like yeah, Minnesota. Minnesota. So, have you been tubing? No. I, I mean, I'm, I'm – no. I don't look good in a bathing suit. John, have you ever been tubing? Yes. Okay, thank you. I'm glad. You know, it seems very unfair. I've had friends try to kill me on a tube. That's the purpose, That's isn't it? That's not shocking at all. Um, <laughs> you, you hold on for dear life. That's basically what this defense did. That's what Bill Bush did, you know, as the game went on. Held on for dear life. Did enough to stand in there and at least, you know, be within spitting distance at the end of the game, 43-37. I'll give you that. But I, I love what Cornesker Corner said, where chins would get more and more out-schemed as the game went on. That game on Saturday, getting down 10 nothing, and then rallying to get it back tied, and then getting down 27-10, and then rallying again. So that's rallying from two double-digit deficits in the same game. Under Frost and Shenander, that is a game that we probably lose something like 
maybe even 41-31 with a late garbage time touchdown to make it look closer than it really was. You know, a true Lynn loss that feels like a win that Scott Frost was famous for last year. No, you're being too generous. I think if, if the prior regime was still in place, we would have lost that game 70-7. to That wouldn't shock me. I think Brom would have loved to uh, ring up a nice lopsided number like that on Scott Fraud. I mean, Frost. (laughs) (laughs) We have an actual legit place kicker. We didn't miss any field goals. That felt nice. We're hitting our extra points. I mean. We're we're getting it. We're getting touchbacks more often than not on kickoffs. Um. We blocked a punt, for crying out loud. Would have been nice if that ball would have traveled backwards. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I want to bring something up, and I thought of this on Sunday. I was talking about this on Sunday when I was driving down to Kansas City with a few buddies of mine. If you took some of the pieces we had this year, Casey Thompson, Trey Palmer, Anthony Grant, and you pair those with last year's offensive line, Samari Toure and Austin Allen. You have you have yourself a pretty damn good offense. And then, you know, like that I never thought I'd say this, but Adrian Martinez covered up a lot of issues for us last year. But also, Greg Austin was nowhere near as bad of an offensive line coach as Donovan no. Rail is. Donovan Rail is bar none the most unqualified assistant coach hire that's ever been made at Nebraska. The guy, I mean, that's a big statement. That's a big statement when you consider Barrett Rude's on the same staff right now. Well, that is true. Yeah. Oh. I mean, it, it's to the point where when I, I – I can't believe I'm harping on the def- offensive line again after I just went through that diatribe earlier. But <laughs> it just it, – it amazes me that it can get this bad where it's like, what do you spend your time in practice doing? Because it's not instructional. You know, it's like, are you getting out there and you're just running through plays and you're doing your drills, but you're not providing any corrective feedback. You're not teaching guys, you know, technique to the point that it's, you know, you're developing fluency and automaticity, you know, you're not, you know, generalizing your blocking scheme. So, hey, if they do this, you do this. You know, what? what is it? What is it that it's this bad, that you have guys out there who are looking like deer in the headlights? So, Greg, are we going to talk about uh, the rest of the season if we can get to a bowl game? Yes. It was in my notes. <clears throat> Illinois. Real quick, though, it's important to note uh, 14. 14 is a good number today uh, because tonight Nebraska swept Purdue, and it was their 14th sweep of of the season. Uh, And that uh, information comes to me from uh, a friend of the show, Josh, uh, who is late to the show because he was watching volleyball. Come on, Josh. You know that we. John, is your dog in there with you? Yes. And she is a lovely dog, and you show her respect, you son of a bitch. Can we see her on the camera? Probably not. She never does anything I want to. What kind of dog? I just wonder, what kind of dog is she? 
Cushy caused awesome. Oh, there. Oh, yellow lab. Great dogs. Well, she's a she's a part. She's half German Shepherd. I was just that's a long snout. And, and she's she's upset that she's locked in the room, and she swears to God things are going on outside. And uh, you see this look on her face that she's been whining and doing shit all night. Get, go oh, up. Let her out. Not on all the fun. She's a great dog. Okay. She be, she became my friend. Uh, so we've got uh, uh, the bye week, and then it, it's. Who'd have thought that in in the last, you know, after the second bye week, that the easiest game on the schedule may be Wisconsin? <laughs> I don't know. I did not see that one coming. <laughs> um, but it's Illinois, I believe, Miss Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, correct, in that order? Illinois, Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa. Yes, sir. Um, I see three wins. I do. I, I see three possible wins in that in that group. Okay, who? Uh, well, I think we we showed. Well, first of all, if if you go just based on the transitive property, we got Illinois smoked because we beat Indiana. Indiana beat Illinois, and you know, so there's one. Okay. okay. Uh, Minnesota. I think we played better against Minnesota than or uh, against Purdue than Minnesota did. Minnesota sucks. Uh, I hate Minnesota, uh, so we'll beat Minnesota. There's two. You know, I think I might have uh, uh, underestimated us. Then we got Michigan. And look, I don't care what anybody says. <coughs> That's a trap game for Michigan, and they'll be they'll be resting a little bit. They might not even play their starters. So I think that's that's a third win. And then Wisconsin, we're going to beat the shit out of Wisconsin because we owe it to them. So there's number four. And then Iowa, we're going to beat. I, you know, I was wrong. Five wins. We got five wins coming up the rest of our schedule. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think, Haas? Well, I think. Matt Hanson, you shut up. I, I, here, here's the way I think it's going to go. Let's start with the first two. Illinois, Minnesota. <laughs> I think we split those two games. We'll get one of those two. We're going to lose to Michigan. Why? Because it's not a They're trash. really good. Yeah. They're, they're really mean, good. They're it could be. Yeah. Few things there. Michigan will be able to pick their score, and the other thing, like whatever channel that's on, the guide for like Directv or Dish Network might want to slap like an, a TVMA or NSF <laughs> tag on there because yeah, it, yeah, it's gonna be bad. Um, Wisconsin, Iowa. I will say what I said for Illinois and Minnesota. We will at least split those two games. We'll get one of them. So I think. What will probably happen is five and seven. Now, ideally, give me a win. Give me a win against Minnesota. Give me a win against Iowa. You know, I'll cash out at five and seven when we're hiring Dave around uh, heading into the offseason. I think we can beat Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin's I think Wisconsin. Wisconsin. That game comes down to is is the team going to still play for Jim Leonard? I, that's a mentality game. I mean, they lost to Michigan State, and they looked really shitty. And, and to be so. fair, Wisconsin is not a good team. They are not no. a good team. No. I 
I'm hedging my bet a little bit on saying that we'll split those last two games just because of the fact that we are not a very good team either. And if I had to choose who I want to beat, it's Iowa every time. What do you, Illinois, do you think really any chance? I mean, I think, <sighs> I, you know what? Do you no, want to know what I think? You know what I think? I think that Illinois, Illinois is going to go on 12 to 13 minute drives yep. on purpose. The time and possession of that, like I, 48 minutes to 40 Illinois to and 12 minutes and, and, and I think the key there is, can they cover Trey Palmer? Can we get the ball to him? And I, I want to say yes. Uh, that 2012 Big Ten championship game when Wisconsin lined up in those formations, like the barge formation with like seven offensive linemen, their quarterback, their running back, you know. Illinois, they hired a new offensive coordinator this year, Barry Lunny Jr., but they still at their core have that same – Brett Bielema mentality when it comes to running the football and controlling the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Their offensive line is going to be able to basically just double team our down defensive linemen, and they won't even have to worry about climbing up to the linebackers or coming off for the linebackers because they'll dent our line of scrimmage three to five yards back. I mean, like, as, as much as I want to beat Illinois and beat Bielema, I just don't see it happening based on how it's, how our defenses look. Now, hold on. We're not doing predictions this week. No, but I you can't. You can't sit there and tell me the next week you're not going to have a sip of Kool-Aid to be like. I always do, Greg. I'm the same guy that predicted we'd beat Michigan in 2018 when we lost 49 to 10. Yeah, we always do yeah. Maybe uh, this so. is a game in which you take a different approach to this and you just let Illinois get the ball and score immediately. Yeah, and then we score immediately. Just Yeah. Is that like the exactly football what, version? Is that like so, the football version of mutually assured destruction and nuclear warfare? They launch one, we yeah. launch one just because going back and forth. They have Brown, they have Chase Brown, and we have shit tons of offensive players. They'll get worn out before we do. Running. <laughs> Cornhusker Corner says he, he's right on board with what y'all are saying. Uh, our defense is going to play 150 plays versus Illinois, and our offense is going to score 31 points with 20 total minutes uh, uh, time of possession to keep it close. LOL, it's realistic with this team. You're not wrong. He's No, he's not wrong. I mean, this is damn near what happened against Purdue. I just don't know what to expect from this team. Basically, like if we're if we can do something odd, whether that's good or bad, I trust that this team will find a way to do something odd. Maybe there's a block punt and scoop and score again. You never know. True. True you never enough. Know. Danny uh, DeVito Brown. could throw a few uh, few interceptions our way. Casey Thompson. Did you say Danny DeVito? Small Lords uh, or Taylor Martinez's single game quarterback rushing record, you know? Anything is possible. I, look, I still think. has to call plays because Mark Whipple has the stomach flu, you know? I mean, like, at this point, I don't I'll be in the state. You'll be in the Brat. Wait, in that game in Illinois? In the game in Illinois? Oh, never mind then. It's not in the land of Lincoln. It's in the uh, city. Of- fine. I like yours better. Um, 
<laughs> I like your state better too. But um, oh, I was gonna say something. What was I gonna say? Uh, I think look it under your Haas, your scenario of splitting Illinois, Min- Minnesota, splitting Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan being what it, it's expected to be. There is a world in which a five and seven Nebraska team in this year with everything that's been going on still could go bowling. Oh, hell yeah. And you know what? I would be celebrating my ass off if that happened. Don't care. We're in a bowl game. I'm watching a, I'm watching Husker football the week, you know, leading up to Christmas, week after Christmas. Don't care how we got there. By God, we're here. Uh, I think Blaine has an interesting question. Uh, any thoughts in general on players transitioning to coaching? I, and and the reason I, I picked this out now is obviously we've got, you know, Barrett Root in Nebraska, but uh, I work – and you guys know where I work and what I do. We don't need to get in, into that. But I work with a, a very proud uh, Notre Dame fan who hates Tommy Reese. And he's like, Tommy Reese was our quarterback, blah, 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 but he's a, a shit, you know, coach. And and he was only quarterback like ten years ago. Is I feel like in this players transitioning to coaching that there's a very small uh, sample size for them to uh, like actually hone their craft. Um, in addressing that, I want to I have to address one comment first. It's false flags <laughs> comment because it ties in. Um, offensive linemen are the best coaches. I agree with that. It's because as an offensive lineman, you have such a global view of the game, a global understanding of the game, everything tying back into everything else for the success. Second of all, players transitioning to coaching. A lot of thoughts on it because Dan Marino retires from quarterback, playing quarterback in 99, tries to be a quarterback's coach. He lasts one year, retires, says he know he can conceptualize what it takes to play quarterback in his own brain. He doesn't know how to teach that to somebody else. I think there can be a case where former players, especially great players, are so good that they've never had to break it down into each component step of the task, of the skill. So they don't know how to explain it to anybody. They don't know how to coach what comes naturally to them. I kind of think like that could be a case for Barrett Rude. For Scott Frost, I kind of think it's more just a case of, uh, you know, it's more neuropsychological in terms of just being, you know, his own biggest fan and not wanting to adapt to what anyone tells him to do. Oh, (laughs) here you go. Josh says, I was an uh, uh, offensive lineman and defensive end, and I didn't know anything about X's and uh, I's until I started listening to Dr. Offense. True story. Well, oddly enough, as Josh's story and Cornhusker Corner's story, I was an offensive lineman, a very undersized offensive lineman, but an offensive lineman nonetheless. (laughs) And you were an offensive lineman who could punch. Who could punt? Punch. Punch. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you got the double under, you know, you keep those yeah. hands inside. The thing that we don't know how to do, apparently. But remember, Steve Sipple said Donovan Rayola was teaching nastiness, tip of the spear. Oh, God. You know, all the red meat buzzwords that, you know, is guaranteed to get clicks and, you know, all that stuff. 
I guess that there is a certain Cal. They're just a certain fan base that wants to hear that shit from both him and Sean Callahan because both of those guys are just so pandering. You know, I like Steve. He's a nice guy, but the just the constant pandering fucking layers of you is just it's over the top now. I, and I, I have no idea why people would subscribe to their stuff. I almost go one step further, and I'll say it's not so much pandering as it's gotten to the point where it's just grifting. You know, grifting off the Nebraska fan base's desire to hear, you know, that, you know, buzzwords like identity and culture, you know. Uh, False Flag said, it's really odd that great athletes overall do not make good coaches. Well, you know what they say, if you can, uh, if you can't, uh, what is it, those who can can yeah, thank you. Dirt, I, I, I screwed that all up. I feel horrible. I'm gonna I got go you. Away. I got I'm, you. Hey, this I'm is a collaborative away. effort. We're a team here. <laughs> Are we gonna talk about coaches at all, Haas? I mean, what what's there to talk about at this on October nineteenth when uh, you know you still got five weeks left of this search and you know everybody's basically backing their own horse like uh, it's a political campaign you know like it's a presidential election you know you got the you know you got the dave aranda crew and you got the herb you guys still got some urban fire hold people are asking people are asking that's why okay well here's the thing i think if we hit six or seven wins there's a legitimate shot that mickey joseph stays as the permanent replacement what about five Depends on how it looks. I mean, do you say, think? Say, do you think? Do you think that that they? I I mean, I love Mickey Joseph. I think what he's done with this team has been amazing. Do you think that that he's captured the fan base hearts of the fan base? He has. Do I you like think Mickey that's. Too, but I do don't think quite the rebound relationship thing. What? You, you, do you, you think that this is a rebound? Do you think this is a rebound relationship thing with Mickey Joseph? Yes. Yes, I do. And you know what? He checks all the boxes, you know, for Nebraska fans. He's a former Husker quarterback, you know. It's guys who've been here before. I like Mickey Joseph, too. But I just, it's short of getting to seven wins or bowl eligibility, I just don't think it's the right call. I think he is a good coach. I just think that we could do a lot better for ourselves in going out and getting a proven winner. Not a guy, yeah, I'm not talking about guys won national championship. I'm just talking about a guy who's proven that he can put together a program. And if players love Mickey Joseph and we're gonna hold ourselves hostage because the players love him, that's great. Players also love Bo Pelini. Players, guys who played for Callahan love playing for Callahan. Guys who played for Frank love playing for Frank. You know, we gotta do what's best for us. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, I'm going into some of the pinned messages now, uh, which means, Matt Faust, yes, we'll get to yours. Um, But you've already answered part of this question from uh, Adam about Mickey Joseph uh, and and his chance to be the next head coach. Uh, If that doesn't work, do we have a new uh, head coach yet again that might get rid of everyone on the staff and change everything? Do you have to have uh, – no – do you have to have clean slate in your guys' opinions, or do you need 
some consistency from one staff to the next? Well, I think some consistency is always good, especially from like an institutional memory standpoint. I mean, we've talked about in the past, like, and I'm just referencing him, not because this is who I would hire if I was Trev, but like Dave Aranda, you know, Bush coach safeties for him at Utah State, Wisconsin, LSU. He worked with Mickey Joseph. Stuff Vince Ginta, the personnel recruiting department guy, he worked for Aranda down there. There's that familiarity there. So that's a big piece, but it's almost unheard of for somebody to come in and retain three coaches off the previous staff. You know, one, yeah, it's pretty common. Two, not as common, does happen, but three is a pretty big stretch. I think at this point, I'm like, if it's Aranda and that's the case, what I just described that actually happens, great. I think that'd be the best case scenario. But what I think would be best would be somebody comes in, they retain Bush, they, re, you know, or Mickey, one, or both, you know, those two. And then other than that, at key spots, tear it down to the studs and bring in new, fresh perspectives. Because aside from those two, I don't think there's anybody on this staff that is worth keeping. No. To that point, uh, living in Omaha, uh, David said, when are we firing our offensive line coach or do we have one? Uh, let's let's be honest. There are no more Should have happened this week. Yeah, but there are no more firings that are going to happen in the season. Um, it's just not going to happen. At this point, it's not happening. Um our deepest uh, sympathies to the young men in his charge because they're being uh, given a disservice uh, in, for their time here. Uh, they, it's a shame they can't redshirt due to bad coaching. <laughs> you know? I, I want to talk something right now about what Colin said. 90% of Nebraska fans are desperate for another player because it's a feel-good story and all logic and reason goes out the window. That's the thing where, like, you have Nebraska football as it's a sport. It is the game of football there. There's reason, there's logic, there's rules, you know, to the game. You know, there's proven uh, elements of what makes a successful team and program. And then there's also an emotional component to it. And for us, that's the nostalgia of, you know, when we used to be good. So we just want to – if it's even something as tenuous as it's a former player turned head coach, you know, we want to just bask in that after warm afterglow of past glory. You know, we, we want that. And it's like, we have to move on. You, you think Oklahoma wants a former player as their head coach. You think Alabama went through the same thing that we're describing right now. And what happened? They decided, Hey, let's go get ourselves a proven winner. Somebody who can put all the pieces together and they've never looked back. I bet occasionally they think back to when, you know, 30, 40 years ago, hey, remember this? That was fun. You know, and then that's it. Why? Because they're too focused on being where they're ranked in the next week's college football playoff poll. John, what did you, you share? Know, got another great comment. I, uh, I share. Shared a T-shirt giveaway that I, I'm giving T-shirts, so get out there and join the T-shirt. You guys aren't Ellie because you're parts of the staff. I was going to say about the coaching thing. Well, I probably will. Christmas is coming. You need to be nice to me. 
I, I thought at the beginning of the season, I was going to say Matt Campbell was my favorite guy. And because I think Matt Campbell is good at developing stuff and he's done a fair amount with uh, what, you know, what he gets at Iowa state. And, you know, now as the season has gone on, he's 0-4 in the Big 12, and he looks really rusty, and, he, you know, he's all covered in warts now. And I think he's that's – losing games like Scott Frost did last year. Yeah. Yeah, at the end and uh, by one score. But I, I think that's my biggest problem with us sitting around talking about the coaching hire all the time is that uh, – we're going to find everybody's mistakes. I mean, Dave Aranda, what's he, three and three now? Three and three, got torched by West Virginia. See, that's the thing. Everybody can do this. Uh, it's almost like an intellectual game of capture the flag where it's like, oh, hey, this person, they have this issue, so they're out. They lost this game. They're out. It's not It's not survivor yeah. each week at Nebraska. Yeah. It's like there are good coaches that, that – there are good coaches that – have losing records that if we hired them considering the kind of resources we have, I'd probably be like, well, let's see if they can get it done. Except I'm not willing to do that again after the failed Mike Riley experiment. Bill, right. Bill O'Brien, where's he at right now? Uh, Alabama's offensive coordinator. Where they lost. Fuck yeah, that Bill. guy. And I believe I'm on record calling him a ham sandwich of a hire. <laughs> uh Look at some of these. Uh, Meyer uh, ham on Wonder Bread. Okay. With Kraft American singles. Um, no, no cheese, no butter, no mayo, nothing. Oh, damn. Okay, that's harsh. Owen said, Adam Character uh, uh, said this evening a coach name is Buzzing. Okay, Adam, Adam is a damn good marketer. Okay? I like that's Adam. Good. He's a really nice guy. But he is learning how to do his show, and he's very good at marketing, and he's going to get texts all the time from everybody on the planet because he's Adam Carricker, and he's probably one of the most well-known Nebraska football players or former players now. And he has a really good show. I watch it on Sunday nights, the Facebook Live. I mean, my God, he had 700 people on there the other night. Damn. So. I, I don't think anybody knows what's going on with this coaching surf, and it, and it doesn't matter anyway for another two, three, four, five weeks, whatever. I uh, think the so, only people that know anything right now would be Trev Alberts and Doug Ewald. Who's Doug Ewald? Uh, the, I believe he's the CFO that um, Trev brought over from UNO with him. So I, those are probably the only two. There you go. I, I want to address your uh, ham sandwich, Hoss, because are Owen you a big said. Ham sandwich guy? But before I before I get some more of these pin messages, because Owen Walker says miracle whip. On my ham sandwiches, I like good old French's yellow mustard. Oh, that's, that's okay. That's just making sure. Are it, you eating on water bread? Uh, I I've been using a lot of Sara Lee honey wheat bread in our house. Okay, that's good. Like you can use sourdough. I'm just saying, like the Bill, Bill O'Brien is the basis of. When I say it's a ham sandwich of a hire, I'm talking what it's one thin slice of Oscar Mayer ham, <laughs> um, two pieces of Wonder Bread. There's nothing like this. Is literally like I need food because I'm about to die. Like this is pure desperation. You know. The Bill right. O'Brien hire, it does nothing for me. All right, here, here's another 
name th- this I, I i only pulled out uh, or pinned the one comment but it it stemmed from our, our great uh, people here in, in the the show who are watching and commenting and, and participating who we missed last week uh but they talked quite a bit of, uh, about some prime time now i said nebraska doesn't deserve any more prime time but uh false flag was responding to joel at one point he says there's no way dion would leave nebraska if he came here he doesn't want to coach pro and nebraska fans love their team he wouldn't leave he'd bring the best players thing a vote of confidence for neon dion has it won at the head at the power uh, because you know i'm all about that empirical evidence I like what Cornusker Corner says again, too, that most fans just want a coach coming off a good season. We don't want to take on baggage. We have enough baggage. That, damn, that is the most self-aware Husker fan answer I've ever seen. Send this guy a shirt, okay. John. <laughs> okay, here's the thing with that. I think the thing that the, – the way that you develop baggage is by doing things. Because yes. if, you, if you do things, if you do – Go ahead. If I'm interpreting Cornusker Corner, feel free to chime in here in the comments. But if I'm interpreting the way I think that this comes across is like we don't need to make a hire like Mike Riley, where it's like, yeah, he was five and seven, and he's ninety three and eighty in his career. But God, if he had the resources at Oregon State that he'll have here, we don't need to be rationalizing. And I'm saying that as somebody, I rationalize that to myself too, like. Who the hell's Mike Riley? An hour later, I'm going, well, you know. And Blaine Cole, <laughs> Ross came off a good season. Yeah, he did. You don't – no hire's perfect. Uh, that's what makes it so vexing about the Frost hire not working out. It's like when uh, when we know about everything that happened here with Frost, it's like, dude, how would you manage to go 13-0 and at UCF? Whoa. Whoa. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's let's take our focus uh, off of what's what we're being spammed now. That that means I think that means you made it as a YouTube channel by being spammed. Uh, this is the, the I I had this up earlier. Uh, I think Haas was railing against the offensive line, so I pulled it and I promised I'd bring it back. Matt Faust. No one wants to talk about this season because I said we let's talk you know more about the Purdue game. He says we're traumatized after constantly having to watch this dog shit offensive line. That's why everyone wants to talk about potential coaches. I did not raise awareness to this when it was when I posted because I didn't want to interrupt, didn't want to be rude. Matt, here, this is your moment, Matt. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, everything you said, Matt, is true. Matt, take it out. <laughs> Think about. I guess uh, you know what I'm okay watching this team. I mean, it's frustrating watching us lose, but here's the thing: I I raised three kids to now they're adults. The oldest one will be 30 December. You know, when they were young, you had to go through all these massive shit tons of really bad concerts, music concerts, because all three of my kids were in music and they were terrible and they were horrible to sit through. But by the time they became juniors and seniors in high school, they became something. They became musicians, and they were actually all three of them very good and all wonderful to listen to. And when I watch this team this year, that's what I'm watching. I don't really have any hope that we're going to win games or we're going to look good. But I'm just looking for, can they get anything? Listen, 
if you're feeling this way about this team, if they can get anything out of this team, I mean, I mean anything, because right now, if you looked at the last Purdue game, right, Nebraska is not a good football team. We're not. And we still stayed within one score. We still had a chance to beat Purdue at the end, and they lead the our division. So I think that that's worth watching. The other thing that it does is it shows a potential next head coach that, yes, you have a core of people you can work with to move forward with an attitude that, that can be a winning attitude. You don't have to run off every one of the freaking players on the entire football scene because they're coachable and they, they haven't been so toxified that they're just wasteoids. You know, you that's, the, that's the thing, what you mentioned about watch for who who's there from a development standpoint. Who's going to develop into a good player? Who wants to keep playing, you know? And the biggest thing, you know that we're not going to win. You know, or never say never, but you know there's not a good chance of us winning. But some things are just a matter of duty, you know. If you're a Husker fan, like Teddy Roosevelt once gave a speech with a bullet lodged in his chest. Some things are just a matter of duty. Yeah, I've, I sat through every minute of 70 to 10 from Texas Tech back in 2004. Greg, the infamous Minnesota game from 2017, how often have we referenced that? Some things you just sit there, you know, you take your medicine. That Minnesota game comes up more and more frequently. Very low point. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of, kind of to piggyback on what you said, John, I've seen a lot of concern from, from Husker fans or, or whatever about the amount of attrition that will follow – whoever this head coach is that will be named. It's tough to – good Lord. Um, I don't know. Oh, here we go. Wait. I, I'll yeah, say I, that. I, I, you do a that. Lot, a lot of sandwich. Okay. A lot of attrition is fine because – listen, a lot of attrition is going to be fine. I, we have what? hundred. Remember when Scott Frost wanted 150 freaking players? Okay, well, about 100 of them probably need to leave anyway. Well, wasn't there something, some internal memo or something somebody on the radio was talking about, about reducing uh, roster sizes in other sports, you know, because they're going to cut back down on the walk-on program? I thought I heard something about that in the past week. Well, they had to they had to make a lot of changes to accommodate 150 players on the football yeah, team. So because the if whole you have roster sizes in Title IX kind of dovetail with one another, you know, it has to be fair right. and equitable. All right. Uh, show me Mo with a ham sandwich recipe that I'll be honest with you. It's intriguing. You've 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 captured my uh, attention. Pumpernickel I bread ham sandwich could be one hell of a recruiter. Oh, Loaded with ham, couple slices of apple smoked bacon. Hey, bacon, bacon puts asses in seats. Uh, aged Swiss cheese, yellow mustard, and Duke's mayo. Wait, isn't is is it Duke's mayo that's on the uh, the the bowl Iowa game. football field? Yeah, yeah, we got to find no, a it's different Duke field. Slater Field. It's um, a name. Well, it seems about as as milk toast as and bland as Duke's mayo. Uh, anyway, uh, take Iowa that bland sandwich. Like going to a Lutheran potluck. Do what? Bland. Iowa football is like going to a Lutheran potluck. It's just bland. 
Nothing wrong with it. Oh, now. I want to propose something to both of you. (laughs) All right, we'll I want you to tell me why Mickey Joseph shouldn't be our head next head coach other than experience. Because he's never called play. Damn it. You had to get that one in, didn't you? Okay. Like, okay. <laughs> he's never called plays. No. Um, the the reasons aren't coming fast and furious here. He's no, not because I'm trying to I'm trying to find a way to word the fact that experience is everything. In college football like scott frost failed largely because he had a small sample size of experience you know and he didn't surround himself with people that you know been there done that like you see a lot of first-time head coaches go and hire a veteran coordinator either on the offensive or defensive side of the ball somebody that can help them navigate different things different situations because they've seen that'd be that'd be mark whipple Oh, man, if I have to sit through another year of that offense at Nebraska. <laughs> okay, a guy like Mark Whipple that's been an offensive coordinator for a while. I mean, whatever it is. But the, the really thing is, is neither of you started throwing reasons out. That's the because thing. Because he took away I think the that's biggest what, reason. If you yeah, would have said, okay, why, why shouldn't he be the head coach? He'd be like, oh, he's not experienced enough. I mean, taking away that reason okay. is like saying, you know, like, yeah, if my aunt had balls, she'd be my uncle. <laughs> <laughs> and, and no, that's the thing is I think the the one uh, galvanizing factor that ninety percent of Husker fans and I, I don't dislike Mickey Joseph and and he's a hell of a recruiter and he's he's motivated the guys that he inherited in a, in a shit situation and he, I think I do believe he's pulling every ounce out of them that they have to give. I believe that. But I think the I think we as a fan base, we want someone who's a proven winner. We want someone who is a a someone who a, a coach who has built a program. And as much respect as I have for Mickey Joseph, he's not done that. It all gets back to experience. I don't think – well, I'm going to bring up one thing, one thing that's very alarmist, and it's this. Uh, Mickey Joseph, to the best extent of our knowledge, has never passed a background check required to be a head coach of a Power 5 program. That's a really nitpicking thing. Number two, he's never managed people. I I don't think it has anything to do with being a ball coach. He has to hire, hire people. And I, he's never been in a position that's done that. And until you've actually been in a position, that again goes back to experience, but it's a different experience than most people probably think about. He has to make staff decisions, and he has never had to make staff de- mm-hmm. decisions. And I think that's probably where the big peril would be in high who hasn't been a coordinator and then hasn't been a head coach, at least somewhere where he's had to deal with those issues. Because those are the issues that get you in trouble. I mean, how you handle hirings, how you handle firings, and all of those things. Before you even get onto the football field, those, those two things would be my concern about him as a head coach. All right. I agree, I want, I agree uh, with that. Those are um, all valid. Thank you, John. We, as always, appreciate uh-huh. You, you you inspire us, John. Um, 
I think that's a good. I think, I think that's a good summation of everything. Uh, Blaine Cole had a, a question that we like so much that we pinned it twice. Uh, so here we go. And this was from earlier in the show. So Blaine, we hope you're still hanging out with us. To the panel, what's your number one issue with the program, and how would you address it? That's a hell. That's a loaded ass question, there, Blaine. Go ahead, John. Strength and conditioning. <laughs> I'd, say, I'd say strength and conditioning. <laughs> I'd say strength and conditioning because it affects every piece of the program across the board. And I think that it, that realize everything else. For example, none of us have ever mentioned, and, and this is important, none of us have ever mentioned nutrition. None of us have ever mentioned the sports psychologist that Jack Stark was back when we were kicking ass. Strength and conditioning, I think, is something that uh, that's part part of the development process. It's part of taking up and he's a six foot six, 260 pound guy that you want to play tackle and helping him develop 300 pound to the 290 pound guy that needs to play tackle. So I think that if, I mean, we, we could go into all sorts of cultural issues, but I think a lot of those are being built and you're seeing players respond to that. So uh, I'm going with strength and conditioning. Just because um, I take it away from Haas. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go more cultural. Um, big, big picture here. Uh, leadership. Leadership and strategic vision. I think that when you have a staff that's inexperienced and a head coach that's inexperienced, um, they don't know what the finished product's supposed to look like that they're developing towards. So they're just kind of they're, – they're aiming blindly at what the end point is. And – just like anything else, like if you can if you can specifically define what it what the problem is or what you're working on, a problem well defined is a problem half solved. So, I want experience here, leadership that is experienced in making decisions for the entire program. I think. Um... Mine's a bit of a, a, a dog chasing his tail uh, situation, and it's it's the lack of I don't know if I'm, I'm I don't think I'm gonna say this right, but I hope that that the thought that the word salad turns into a uh, cohesive thought. The lack of of winning has done a significant uh, amount of damage to the program that, you know, we're, we're seeing glimpses of a team, you know, in, in the last few games that, that is continuing to battle. It, it, it's, I don't disagree with you, John, <clears throat> strength and conditioning, uh, nutrition uh, definitely need improved because as Hoss was saying earlier, you've got, you know, six, eight, six, nine guys who are two, bulky two sized whatever you know and and so your the refrigerators well hell even i can move around a refrigerator um but it, it, i don't want to say it, it's a, a lack of will or I'm not, i want to say it's a lack of heart it's just it, it's a a bunch of guys who don't know how to win the big games it win in, in elite situations 
And unfortunately, that's only something that you're going to fix by winning. Um, so it, it's, it, I, I, I hope I'm not like, uh, uh, you know, passing this off or, but it, it's going to have to be the strength and conditioning. It's going to have to be, uh, you know, the sports psychology, the leadership aspect. It's going to be, have to be the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and Joe's. Uh, it's going to have to be all of these facets. Uh, and Blaine, I apologize. This is a very <laughs> broad answer to a, a very specific question, but all these factors to get these men uh, to believe that they can go out there with the North Dakotas and with the Michigans and with the Oklahomas like they did last year, not the way they, they did the Oklahomas of this year, and and be in there for 60 minutes and battle and come out victorious because we have gone a very, very long time without a signature win. And and because of that, our guys don't know how to do it. Can, can I show this uh, comment? Yes, there you go. Please do. Simple Jack, number one, we have no good, good offensive linemen. Unlucky. Just getting zero talent there. Hit that portal hard. Haas, you know as well as I do, finds a lineman in the, in the portal. It's the hardest position to find, isn't it? It's the hardest position because you're not likely to find a lot of guys who are hitting the portal to begin with. Because most programs, guys are sitting until they're third year sophomores, fourth year juniors. Um, and then the obvious, the ones that do hit the portal, chances are they've been processed out of the program. They were you know, coming from. And two, you've got one year to teach every blocking scheme, every adjustment, every pass protection, every call to a guy. Less than a calendar year. You know, you got one off season. Try and do that with four, three or four of them, or, you know, hell, five of them, because I don't know at this point who you want to keep off this year's offensive line next year. Um, yeah, I mean, that's easier said than done. I wish it was that simple. You can get a lot of good receivers and DBs out of the portal. Yeah, let, let me ask you this, Hoss. Um, because of, of you want to go, John? Oh, go ahead. No. Okay. Uh, because of what you're saying. <laughs> because of what you were saying about the uh, the the lack of really solid options in in the portal uh, for offensive line. And it, it does take time to develop that position. Are we still, I mean, even if we washed our hands of the five guys that we have out there, maybe we keep Trent Hickson. Um, but he's gone. Well, you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. in, in a different universe. But if we start from scratch, start whole cloth, we're still looking at three years from being a, having a good offensive line. Yeah, because we've got to over, we've got to overhaul it completely. I mean, you're talking changes in strength and conditioning. You're talking changes in your recruiting philosophy. What kind of athlete you're targeting? You know, in terms of size. You know, and you're talking about installing a whole new scheme. So yeah, you got to get comfortable with the fact that it's probably going to be two, three years. But here's the thing that you're, you shouldn't be comfortable with. It's not so much to ask for that we're seeing that not to have the worst offensive line in modern history. That's a pretty low bar to clear. So, like, if anybody wants to next year, whoever's the offensive line coach, you know, yeah, oh, well, you know, this is going to take some time, you know, if they're still really bad, if they're still at this level, it's like, yeah, you know, it's going to take time. But not being the worst in the modern era 
is not asking for a whole lot. That's the point I keep making this year to people. You know, it's Donovan Rail's first year. Yeah, well, if you saw his offensive lines at Chicago, you'd know that this is par for the course. You know, where he was the assistant O line coach. Um, it, it like Cornusker Corn says, it just needs to be serviceable. It, it's not only is it well, you, Donovan Rail's first year; it's also Donovan Rail's last year. I mean, yeah, you got you got Justin Evan Jenkins, you got uh, Ethan Piper, you got Henry Latoski, Norden Nuilli will be back next year. You you can well, make Pi- some Piper. Out of Piper looks like a refrigerator runaway fridge on a doll, moving dolly. The way he moves, <laughs> you know, he's gotten in. So yeah, but you can take care of that. Yeah, you know. Well, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have players. I don't think – you know, if you get the right offensive line coach, it could be – I don't know. Yeah, well, that's that's the other thing about coaching changes that I absolutely love. You never know who right now is buried on your roster that under the right coaching, under good coaching, is going to flourish. So that that's the, that's the hope I have. We have a gob of young guys. So I don't know, and we play in the worst division in all of football. You know, I actually get a pushback a little bit on that. I don't think the Big Ten West is that bad. I'm not. I'm not calling the SEC West. I'd like that to be reflected. I think the Big Ten West is actually it's it's a division that cannibalizes itself, and I think that like you you realize being in this division like. It's a tough league. It's a rugged, nasty division to put up with. And when people are like, oh, they suck, it's like, is it a geographic bias that you think we saw? I mean, like, there were years that the Pac-12 South was pretty damn bad, and they never got that kind of ire from college football fans. Well, the other the other good news is that what do you got? You got Wisconsin turning over a coach. Uh, Indiana will probably likely be turning over a coach. Um, I, it, it, you know what? I, I get all sorts of emails from people and I get a lot of emails from gambling sites and you know what I got today? I got odds and they showed Pat Fitzgerald and Kirk for rents on odds uh, to be fired. Well, I know I thought Pat, Fitz, very, Pat very Fitzgerald has not gotten along with their new athletic director ever since Jim Phillips yeah. left to be the ACC commissioner. So that guy could be our next head coach right there. Remember what we said about baggage earlier? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he hasn't exactly cut. Like, if this was two years ago, I'd be like, hell yeah. Like, yeah, I'll take Fitz. But uh, now, being you know, he's staring down two losing seasons in a row. It's going to be a no for me, dog. He has he has a lousy defensive coordinator. Yeah, Jim uh, – John o- – Jim O'Neill. O'Neill or something? It's something like that. Well – I wonder if I can – I'm going to need to go soon because my drugs have worn off. Yeah, I'm going to need to go soon because I actually have to really go soon. I have to take a leak of something fierce. (laughs) Uh, I was going to say, Nebraska's Nebraska's, uh, on a a bye this week, (laughs) so we don't have uh, um, uh, a prediction for our game, but – it should be fun to watch Ohio State bludgeon the shit out of Iowa. Iowa or Ohio State, the number two team in the land. Uh, Iowa 
has the 130th uh, offense in the land. And that should be a, a, a good game for the Buckeyes. It's two teams that I absolutely despise, two fan bases that I loathe entirely. Oh. Um, so, should be fun. Uh, that'll do it. I, I, I think for – I was going to make a prediction for, for that game, but nah, it doesn't seem worth it. Uh, <laughs> so, that'll, uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Five Heart Podcast. want to thank everybody for joining us uh, live here on, on the, the, the video stream because we do it for you. We, we did it once, and then we realized we can never not do it that way. And it's because of you. It's because of all of you. So thank you very much. So for Dr. Offense here, uh, Haas Reuter, for our founder and fearless leader, John Dam Johnston, I'm Greg Mahachko. This is the Five Heart Podcast, We re- where we remind you each and every week, easy for me to say, that Five Heart is all the heart you need. John? Go Big Red. Win the damn bye week. (sighs) End the damn stream.